Welcome back to another exciting episode of the Bright Brains Podcast. This is your host, Isaac Walker. And today, my guest is Lisa Reams. She is the founder of Nine Arrow. Welcome to the show, Lisa. Thanks, Isaac. I'm really happy to be here. Um, so I am the aforementioned Lisa Reams. Um, I founded Nine Arrow as a uh, coaching practice where I could help folks change the mindset to get change their mindset to get the life that they want, but currently don't believe that they can have using the Enneagram is a tool to do that because the Enneagram shows us how we're standing in our own way and the best methods to get out of it. What is the Enneagram? So the Enneagram is a system that is very, very old. It uh, dates back to ancient Greece. In fact, the word Enneagram is Greek. Um, And it shows us nine different lenses of living. So um, within each of these lenses, you'll have a core type. That means that's the thing that you come back to. It'll be your core desire and your core fear. And then it shows you the different ways that you can reach into different parts of the Enneagram um, and integrate it because the Enneagram assumes that you are a whole person. So every single person is trying to protect something at their very core, and that's what their core motivation is. So this is what sets the Enneagram apart from any sort of um, like personality test, because this isn't personality. And while it does talk about behaviors, what it's talking about behaviorally is what might come of somebody's core motivation. So, for example, if somebody's core motivation is to um, add value, then anything that they do will be filtered through this lens of, okay, is this adding value or not? And it's something that your subconscious latches onto rather than it being a conscious decision. So you said it was made in ancient Greece. Do we know anything about who made it or is that lost to time? It's pretty lost to time. Um, I think that the Enneagram has popped up (laughs) a lot of times throughout the years. It's certainly come back in vogue recently um, because I think folks are learning what to do with it. But it's just uh, the, the roots are pretty unknown and a lot of different folks have found ways to adopt it and make it their own. So what inspired you to specialize in the Enneagram test and how did you first encounter it? Yeah. So I actually first heard about the Enneagram um, about eight years ago, listening to a podcast and the speaker or the host of the podcast was somebody that was the same type as I am. So she was explaining in great detail what the Enneagram meant to her and how it pointed out things about herself that she didn't really realize. And I thought, wait, that sounds exactly like me. So am I oversympathizing with her because I really admire her as a person or am I just the same type? So I went and I took the test for myself and I found out that I was the same type as her. And that's why everything that she was saying was resonating with me. Um, And then I started reading about it on my own. And then it really snowballed from there. Um, I ended up doing a master's program in organizational leadership. And the thesis of that program for me was designing a reward system for companies to be able to use using the Enneagram um, in a way that will make 
employees feel motivated and supported and using extrinsic and intrinsic rewards. Then I started doing a lot of talks about the Enneagram uh, pretty informally, then a couple formally. And I uh, got uh, certified through Integrative Nine, which is an incredibly robust company out of South Africa um, that does uh, a certification program. So I've been practicing it in lots of different pockets. Um, but the most formal of those has been using it to coach folks. What is your Enneagram type? I am a three, the achiever. So what is number three, achiever? What all does that mean? So there are nine different Enneagram types. And you can divide them a lot of different ways. So the most basic of those ways is the the um, your processing center. So types uh, eight, nine, and one are going to be instinct. That means that each of those three types does everything through their intuition. Their intuition is their final check. Of course, they're going to consider feelings and logic and that type of thing, but intuition is the, the, the green light to go. The head triad is going to be five, six, and seven, which means that your brain has to give the final check for things to go. I, as a three, sit right in the middle of the heart triad where two, three, and four live. And that means that you can give me all the logic in the world. I can have instinct, but unless it sits with me right in my heart, I'm probably not going to do it. Um, and that doesn't mean that everything that I do is super emotional, but it does mean that that's how I have learned to trust myself as if my heart signs off on it. Um, so as a three, my core desire is to add value. And then my core fear is of not adding, of being worthless, basically. So a lot of the times when you hear about three, you're hearing about that person that's kind of like, at the, you know, the head of the pack. They are um, putting all the promotions. They're climbing up the corporate ladder quickly. They might be always the lead in the school play. They might be somebody that um, just really gets the spotlight. But then you can break it down a little bit further than that. Um, so my particular brand of three is I like to be the best at uh, relationships. And that doesn't necessarily mean that um, it has to be a romantic relationship. It's like, I want to be the best, best friend that there is. And that is what's really important to me. And a lot of things are going to come back to that. So um there, there's more to get into with that, and I'm sure that we will, but at, at its core, that is what being a three is. How can understanding one's Enneagram type contribute to personal and professional development? Yeah, so actually learning my Enneagram type, I think, opened up whole new worlds for me professionally. Um, at the last job that I was at, I used the Enneagram to realize that Maybe this is not for me anymore. So each type has another type whose traits they take on in times of growth and another type whose traits they take on in times of stress. And remember that growth doesn't always feel good. That's why they're called growing pains. And stress doesn't always feel bad. 
you guys can see you're probably eating chocolate cake or something and that is fluffy um so I recognized that I was kind of going out of my normal three traits of thinking in a to-do list doing go 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 figuring out what was going to set me apart to make me the best and the brightest at my job. And what was happening was I was getting really complacent and I was taking on the unhealthy traits of a nine, which is the number that three goes to in stress. So unhealthy nines do this thing called numbing out. And what that means is it's basically like, if I can't see it, that means it's not going on. Um, and they'll cut themselves off from from the world in, in a very specific nine way where it's just like, I'm going to keep myself comfortable here. Because that's, that's what a nine wants is harmony. So if they can kind of preserve their peace in a way and detach from reality, they're going to do it. So as a three, for me, that means that I stopped really wanting to show up for things unless I was being impressive. Um, and I was still reporting to work. I just wasn't engaging in the same way that I was um, when I had started that job. Um, and I recognized that I was no longer taking traits from my growth arrow, which is six. Sixes want security. They're a lot, uh, they're in the middle of the head triad. So they're going to be more analytical. And I was no longer thinking in roadmap form like a healthy six might. I was no longer thinking about what the future might hold in that situation. And once I realized what was going on, I had to make a very difficult decision to leave that job because it was formerly a dream job for me. Um, and so I was able to really reflect on what was going on. And then I was able to think about, okay, what does light me up in a job? What does make me want to be making roadmaps down the line? What does make me feel like I am contributing value rather than going through the motions? And all of those things sound like they might be kind of common sense, but the Enneagram just illuminated it in a way that I had never had anything illuminated before. Before, it felt like I was just kind of like feeling around with my eyes closed. And this felt a lot more deliberate. Um, and that ultimately is what led me to coaching and helping other people figure out how they'd been kind of feeling around with their eyes closed. So let's talk about your coaching company, Nine Arrowed. How long have you been in business? So I established Nine Arrowed in August of 2022. Yeah, so a little over a year and a half at this point, um, and it's been a total ride. <laughs> it's been a lot of fun. Talk me through your coaching process. Let's say a new client comes to you. How do you go about using the Enneagram to help them grow? Yeah, so in the usually my my most popular standard package is a three month. Uh, kind of adventure. So for the first month, what we do is I get them a very in-depth Enneagram test that was created by a five, um, which means that it's very thoroughly researched. Fives are known as the investigators. And so they get a PDF of all these bullet points. They're able to go through and figure out, okay, 
does this sound like me does this resonate with me um do I feel kind of dragged by this honestly because a lot of the times when uh folks are first learning about the Enneagram and their Enneatype they feel totally attacked by it and it it can be kind of hard to come to terms with it um, because it's showing you in addition to the things that are really great about you the things that you might not have noticed that you're you know getting in your way so I the PDF allows them to have the time to go through that on their own without having to look at me (laughs) and then after that Um, I meet with them and the first month is doing a deep dive into what does that mean? How have these uh, items on your PDF shown up in your life? What kinds of inclinations do you have to follow your Enneatype in your own unique brand? Because you can have two people that are the same Enneatype and be very, very different. So I'm not making any sort of like political commentary, right? But like, if you think of like Bernie Sanders and Donald Trump, they are two very different men. But if they both show up, or if they, let's say that they're both an Enneagram one who just wants to be good, they are going to show up being good in the way that makes sense to them. And they're going to have two very different behaviors based off of that. So I tailor the the results to my clients we talk through all of that for the first month together the second month is what to do about it when you feel it coming up helping talking about um detecting patterns and really teaching them how to um implement it within their own lives and then the third month is more of that mindset coaching where it's okay what are your goals what are the things that you thought maybe weren't possible for you and how do we remove those limiting beliefs so that you can take off running knowing what you know about yourself knowing what you will subconsciously gravitate towards and use that to your advantage because really your enneatype is your superpower and everybody has one What common misconceptions do people have about the Enneagram and how would you address them? Oh, good question. So I think the number one misconception about the Enneagram is I will often uh, have people find out that I'm interested in the Enneagram and say, oh, I I retook it and I got a different result this time and now I'm this type. And um, can see where that's coming from, but it's simply not true. You are the same Enneagram type throughout your entire life. And there's a lot of discussion in the Enneagram community about like nature versus nurture. And some parents are like, oh, I knew that my child was an eight the second they popped out or whatever. Um, But the, the fact is, as a kid, you're really kind of shaping those experiences. And then um you're, you're kind of forming those survival instincts as well. So Your type will stay the same no matter what, because it's kind of like what your true north is, what your magnet is, what all of your actions and behavior come back to, because it's you protecting whatever your core fear is. That's what it comes down to. Um, So that's one of the misconceptions is that you can change Enneagram type. The other one that I hear most often is folks will say, I'm an Enneagram two wing seven. So wings are the number on either side of your core type that um, are kind of behaviors that you can naturally lean into. 
And the reason that you can't be an Enneagram two wing seven is because two and seven are not next to each other. If you're a bird, right, your wings are going to be attached to your main body. And so you can't really have a wing just floating off in a different continent. Um, and wings are actually a really cool way to uh, keep yourself flying forward. I know that might sound a little bit cheesy, but that's what they're meant for. Helping that forward motion, um, but they're not meant to be used all the time. Curious, do men kind of gravitate towards certain Enneagram types versus females? Do they, is there like a difference? Like, you know, maybe females might be five, six, and seven, whereas men might be one, two, and three, or does it go across gender? Oh, that's an excellent question. I think that I would actually add that to the misconception pile as well. Um, No, you can be any gender and be any type. So I would say that uh, a two, their their core desire is to be worthy of love. And they're afraid of being unlovable inherently. Um, And so because of the way that culture and society and and all of these other kind of external influences have really shaped what gender looks like, a lot of women mistest is twos, thinking that they should be answering with like this kind of like maternalistic instinct, even if it's not something that they they feel so that's not to say if you're you identify as a woman and you um test as a two that it's inaccurate it's simply a nudge to make sure like hey make sure that you are answering this in an in an honest way because there's going to be you know good and good and tough (laughs) to each type and then i would say the type that is most associated with men and again incorrectly is five and that is because uh, five is a little bit more, they can be a little bit more emotionally closed off because of the way that they build a fortress of knowledge around themselves. So they can seem a little bit more unreachable. But the truth is anybody can be any type. And those types don't necessarily belong to any one group of people. What kind of job attract certain types of Enneagrams? Like, Yeah, that's a great question too. So I'm going to preface this by saying that any type can be successful in any role. You don't have to be a three to be like a CEO and want to achieve, 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 right? A nine could be just as effective of a leader in keeping the harmony. Having said that, <laughs> uh, you would see more fives in academia. Fives are our researchers um who want to go very deep on the particular subjects that they're into so you might find a five who's like the only person in the world who's super interested in like ninth century chamber pots or something um just because it's something that really caught their interest um you might see uh more twos and threes more of the heart types in teaching um like K through 12 as opposed to academia because they are uh they have more of a proclivity towards nurturing because it's something that they desire themselves um eights might be more likely to be politicians because they are um 
they want to be in control of their own destiny. That's what an eight wants at their core. And being in politics is a great avenue for that. So anyone can be successful in any career. And that's part of uh, the mindset coaching piece of what I do. Um, but yes, there there are some kind of natural instincts that would lean into different jobs. Can you share a success story or an example of how the Enneagram has positively impacted somebody's life? I know you talked about how it impacted your life, but do you have any examples of maybe somebody that you coached or somebody that you know who was able to turn their life around once they knew this information? Yes, I have quite a few, I'm very happy to say, but the one that jumps in my mind immediately was a client that I had who is a nine. Um, who had been spending a lot of her life in this spot where she wasn't feeling very challenged mentally by her job, but she knew that um, her boss would always come in and say what a good job she was doing. And, um, you know, we wouldn't be able to run this place without you. And it was very familiar to her because she'd been there for about 20 years. And so when I started working on this with her and started helping her figure out, okay, yes, you've built yourself this comfortable little nest, but there's also like a sharp, sharp rock that's laying right under where you sleep. Just because you're comfortable with that kind of pain of not being intellectually challenged does not mean that it's a good thing for it to be a part of your immediate sphere. So we started talking about what was possible for her. And then um, she started putting feelers out and finding other jobs. And she ended up landing a director role um, at a at a university. And she's been really thriving in that sense. And now that she's been there for about a year, she's starting to think about, okay, what is the next step rather than how am I comfortable in this current one? So are there any ethical considerations or potential pitfalls when using the Enneagram in coaching our personal development? Yes, absolutely. So as more companies begin to adopt the Enneagram and implement it um, in, in kind of like a corporate or professional setting, you have to be very careful not to use it to be manipulative. So in other words, if I know that you're somebody, you're a six, let's say, and um, what sixes want is to feel safe. They're afraid of uh, not having that safety. And of course, everybody likes safety, right? But this is like the main thing that sixes think about. Um, then it would be really unethical to be like, do this or you lose your job, even if you, even if you don't mean it, just because you know that it is like preying on their internal fear. Something else that uh, is not necessarily ethical, but kind of a hard pitfall to avoid when you're first learning about the Enneagram is um, hyping other people. Because as you start learning about it, so it's a really interesting subject, right? Like everybody loves hearing about themselves and why they are the way that they are. However, if the only person who can tell you for sure what type you are is you um because you're the one that's there with you yourself in these like very quiet moments 
where it's just you and your brain and, and what you're coming down, you know, what everything comes down to. You have, it's hard to be dishonest with yourself. So if I were to look at you and say, okay, Isaac, you haven't um, really shown that you are super like, let's say high energy and outgoing. I'm not saying this is accurate. Um, <laughs> then you must not be a seven. A seven is the entertainer. What they want is to be happy. What they're afraid of is being trapped in pain. So it's, it, but you might feel like, okay, I don't want to be trapped in pain. All I want to do is go and learn a little about a lot and jump around from subject to subject. And I can't tell you that just based off of what I think your behaviors are. So it's, I would say it's okay to speculate with someone about what they might be with their permission. However, you don't get to tell other people what they are. Earlier, you were saying how throughout history, the Enneagram kind of waxes and wanes in popularity. Right now, it seems to be going on an uptick in popularity. Why is it now? Why do many people seem to be really gravitating to the, the Enneagram? My theory is that we're seeing a real shift in a lot of different things. One of those is mental health. I think that as recently as like 20 years ago, um, if you told someone that you were going to see like a therapist, for example, they'd be like, uh, I don't know about that. Like, what are you bonkers or something? But it's not like that. Like everybody needs help with their mental health. And the Enneagram really goes hand in hand with that kind of thing. I think that another reason that it is coming out is like, if you think about what used to be the like big money maker, well, not necessarily big money makers. Hmm. It used to be more of like this industrial revolution, right? Like how can we crank out more cars? How can we farm more things? How can we um, produce, produce, produce? And it was more of the physical realm. Whereas now a lot of the the thought leaders in the world are just that they're thought leaders it's coming from what are your thoughts what are your theories how can we sit around and ideate on different things that will help you feel expansive and there's something to be said about feeling expanded in a world where like you have your physical confines, right? It could be your body. It could be the, you know, small apartment that you live in. It could be your car. But if you feel expanded and you feel like you know more about yourself, that kind of like starts to expand your own walls and your horizons and you get to visit more things. And the more you can do that in your mind, the more likely it is that you'll lead your own self to opportunities where you can go experience new things physically as well. So I think it's it's a combination of the good feeling that comes from it, from knowing. I think it comes from people taking a more vested interest in themselves and how they tick rather than wanting to push it down and be normal. So embracing that uniqueness. And a lot of it is just repetition, right? A lot of different folks are talking about it. What emerging trends or developments do you see in this field of Enneagram studies and how might they shape 
uh, its future relevance. Hmm. Trends. I guess basically I'm asking, like, where do you see this heading? Like, where do you see people taking this information and using it, you know, going forward into the future? My hope is that more people become fluent in the Enneagram. And when I say that, I don't mean just within your own core type. I mean, everyone around you, right? Like, it's very advantageous to learn about each of the nine types because the Enneagram suggests that, like, you can now treat others how they want to be treated rather than how you would want to be treated. So, yes, that's the golden rule, but everyone shows up in the world differently, right? If you're protecting this core fear within you, then it's not going to matter like if if i'm talking to somebody who isn't a three and they're not trying to be valued or you know that's not their main goal their main goal is to um be in control of their own destiny or whatever it's gonna be a lot different um and so i think that if enneagram fluency gets picked up in the way that i'm hoping it does in the way that i'm seeing that it is being picked up It'll create some really cool interpersonal relationships because it gives us a way to say, all right, I know that you are a four now. And so I can really respond more thoughtfully in a way that resonates with you rather than like me adopting something that I would try for myself, but like tweaking it a little bit um to your to your you know your language are there types of enneagrams that don't get along with other types like do fours butt heads with sevens do nines not get along with twos and so forth i would say no to that because just like i was talking about earlier with the with the one situation right like you might have two people the same type that like just are vastly different humans i think it's a lot more nuanced than that as well and everyone sits at different levels of where they're at with their type that day that month that year um every single type has healthy behaviors, average behaviors, and unhealthy behaviors. And you're going to oscillate between all three in a single day. Like it's not an all or nothing thing. Most of the time you sit in the average of it. But I I, I think that the whole getting along thing, predicting who you may or may not get along with is a lot more nuanced than that. Um, and I think that that kind of goes back to, well, the more you understand the nine types, the more likely it is that you can get along with somebody else, knowing where they're coming from. Now, let me ask the opposite question. Are there types that vibe and get along with better with other types? Like, say, do twos work great with fours? Do sixes work great with eights or anything like that? Or is it still just the same kind of answer at all? Just doesn't matter. I think it's the same kind of answer, but I would say that sevens are like historically one of the more approachable right away because the entertainers, the life of the party, right? 
so they have really learned this instinct to um, be able to connect with a lot of folks on a lot of different things. And that's because of their proclivity for picking up a little bit of information about a lot of things. Sevens are very big picture planners um, and they're a little bit more approachable. Whereas a five um, works off of like this internal social battery where they'll like start the day with like a full social battery, but then they, they go about the rest of the day as though there is no charger for this. Right. So they are a lot different in the way that they manage their time because internally fives feel like I only have so much to give. Whereas sevens are kind of more of the energizer bunny. So if there's somebody who's listening to this right now and they're like, this just sounds like a bunch of hocus pocus. This kind of sounds like astrology. You know, there's no science to this. What what would you say to that person? I would say that this isn't stated like astrology is. Um, I think that there could be overlap between astrology and the Enneagram, for example, uh, I mean, I happen to know a little bit about astrology, definitely not as in depth as I know about the Enneagram, but like Virgos, for example, are very detail oriented. They like things a certain way. They might be a little bit more critical. So therefore someone with a Virgo placement might be more likely to be a one who is also very focused on being good, being right. Um, however, there is a lot of applied psychology to the Enneagram. And this is something that is well-researched. I've, <laughs> I've been the peer to review. <laughs> I've been the peer who's, you know, been reviewed. Um, and there, that nature versus nurture is part of it as well. So it's more of like, yes, you started out with a, a blank slate, but then you built onto it as time went on whereas with astrology it's more of what were the planets gravitational poles like at the moment that you were born um that are kind of i guess changing the way that you look at the world so i took the test and it said that i was a five and they called that the investigator uh what can you tell me about fives and what kind of advice would you give to a person who is a five? Yes. Yeah. So fives are the investigator. And I I know that I've mentioned this a couple of times within building this fortification for knowledge. So fives are very unique in that social battery part of things. And before I jump too far into this, does that resonate with you, that social battery? Yeah, I feel like I have a low social battery. I feel like, uh, you know, whenever I do go to like a social function, my battery kind of drains really quickly. And I feel like I need time to recharge that battery before I go to another social function. How long is that uh, recharge turnaround for you? Uh, I don't really know about the exact time. You know, it's interesting. I always just, before I took this test, I always just thought of myself as an introvert. And, you know, when I took this test and I started reading it, I was like, you know what? 
this really does describe me. And I thought it was really interesting to really make that connection because I was like, whoa, maybe there really is something to this, you know. But as far as like how long it takes to recharge, I don't know, maybe about a about a day or something like that. Yeah. Well, I'm glad that it resonated with you and I'm interested to hear, you know, how it continues to show up now that you have the knowledge of it as well. So thank you for sharing that with me. Um, so fives go through life having realized that the more that they know about something, the less likely they are to get caught off guard. So the core desire of a five is to be competent. And the core fear of a five is of being incompetent. So there might be some moment, some like crystallizing moment in your childhood that you remember where you were like, ooh, I felt incompetent and that was bad and I never want to run into that again. And you're nodding. So I'm wondering if you have one of those. <laughs> Yeah, I have a lot of those, you know, where I'll just be thinking about life and I'm like, ah, man, I wish I hadn't have done that. Or I wish I hadn't have done this or I wish I'd done this differently. So, yeah, you're preaching to the choir right now. <laughs> well, do you have like an example that you'd be willing to share? Oh, man, you know, I don't know if I want to share, but it's just like, you know, something where the what I'm thinking about, like, I don't really want to share because I don't want to get too personal. But it's just like, man, why did I do that? And now I know, you know, I, I wouldn't do, I wouldn't react the way I did, you know, during that time or I wouldn't make the decision that I made in that time, you know. And I'm constantly like, you know, thinking about like mistakes I made in the past and things like that. So, yeah, the idea of wanting knowledge to make better decisions. Yeah, that speaks to me. And what I'm hearing in that, too, is, yes, you're five, where you have, you know, gone back and investigated that. But I'm also hearing a heavy piece of your six wing. So as a five, your two available wings are four. So the individualist, the, the desire to be unique. And six, uh, which has a lot of different nicknames, <laughs> the, the loyalist and the skeptic and there are a lot of different ones, but um, skeptic is usually the one that I think of. Um, and so in that situation that you're talking about, it sounds like the what would I have done differently is like what kind of knowledge could you go back and give your younger self that would make you feel different or come out ahead of it and then like consequently what's the butterfly effect of that, right? Like if you, if you were able to go back and change that thing, would you then show up in the world differently? So without saying what the situation was, if Isaac now could go back to baby Isaac and tell him, would you? You know, I often think about that. And that my opinion is this. I think that our choices make us who we are. So even though like you might make a mistake in the past, you learn from that and you grow stronger. And if you went back in time somehow and changed that, the person that you would be in the present would be weaker or have less awareness. Um, we, we go through these things for a reason. 
you know, like let's say, uh, you know, let's let's say there's a guy he like I don't know stuck his finger in an electric outlet and got shocked. This is kind of a goofy example, but and he got shocked really bad, right? And then he went back in time and stopped himself, but now he doesn't know, so he's likely to do that again in the present, you know. And I think that we make the mistakes and the choices that we make in the past, they make us who we are. Hey, sorry to interrupt, but are you looking to reach a dynamic and engaged audience of curious minds? Well, look no further. Bright Brains Podcast is the perfect platform to showcase your business or product. You'll be able to reach a diverse and intelligent audience and engage with listeners passionate about personal development, technology, and more. Elevate your brand through thought-provoking discussions. Don't miss this opportunity to promote your business on one of the fastest-growing podcasts in the market. Contact us today to discuss advertising options and elevate your brand to the next level. Contact us at brightbrainspod at gmail.com to secure your advertising spot on Bright Brains today. Again, that's Bright Brains with a Z, pod, P-O-D, at gmail.com. Now, back to the podcast. I guess it's to pick it up where, I, where we left off. I was saying your choices made in the past define who you are today. Yeah, yeah, they do define who you are today. And... I think that's a really healthy outlook to have because that shows that you're learning rather than just experiencing. Um, and that's how you move forward. So I completely agree with you. And also that doesn't make the experiences that you did have any less difficult. So I'm glad you are who you are today. So this has been a great discussion. I really learned a lot today. And I bet my audience did, too, as well. Do you have any final words you want to say about the Enneagram or anything else uh, you want to promote about your business, Nine Arrowed? Yeah. Um, really, just the Enneagram is such a cool tool. And if I even got to one person to think, this is interesting, I want to learn more about it, Um then I think my job is really done because it it really is so helpful in so many different ways. And it's fun watching it unfold as time goes on. And I hope that's the experience for some of your listeners as well. Um, as for Nine Arrowed, it is spelled nine like the number, N-I-N-E-A-R-R-O-D. There's no E in it. Um, and you can follow me on Instagram, or if you would like to have an Enneagram deep dive session with me, um, or participate in that Enneagram coaching, uh, you can get more information on the website there. And I'm happy to see what's possible for you. Awesome. All right. Thanks a lot. Sorry about the technical difficulties. But again, this was a great discussion. You have a great day, Lisa. Take care. Thanks. You too, Isaac. Bye. All right, that's a wrap. Thank you for joining us for another enlightening conversation here on Bright Brains. I hope you've gained valuable insights and inspiration to fuel your own bright ideas. If you enjoyed today's episode, don't forget to like and subscribe, rate 
and leave a review on your favorite podcast platform or however else you listen to this podcast. Also, we can be found on all major social media. Just type in Bright Brains with a Z. And remember, the brightest minds are those that never stop seeking knowledge.